Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to launch from there. In fact, for the next few weeks, this is going to be the scripture that we're going to be reading to open our service with. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity you've given us. And Lord, this morning, I pray that your word would just reach out and speak to us, Lord, through the power and the anointing of your spirit. Lord, I pray that the things that need to be said, the things, Father, that are on your heart would be said. And I pray, Father, that each one of our hearts would be open, Father, to receive those words that you are speaking into us this morning. Father, we're not here to walk through another religious exercise. Father, we are here to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray over this word in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, Acts chapter 2, let's go all the way to verse number 42. It says, every believer was faithfully devoted to the following to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Now this morning, here is kind of the text that we have been operating on literally for the past year, the Acts 2 journey. This is a little glimpse into how the early church or the first century church did church. It's how they did it. And I believe that they had a good thing going. So the mission of this church this morning is reflected in what we just got through reading. The mission of this church is to love God, to love people, to reach the lost and make disciples. And so how do we do this? We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. We need to understand why we exist. Why are we here? Why strategically did God place this church right here on 441 almost 40 years ago, over 40 years ago? Why do we exist? Why are we here? Why are we coming together every week? The next question is, where are we going? Because we got to have a place to go. I am not comfortable with just sitting here twiddling my thumbs week after week after week. we got to go somewhere, and I believe God has a plan for us. The next question we got to ask is, how is it as a church that we need to behave? Many of you as parents, whenever your kids were younger, perhaps whenever you had company coming over or whatever, you know, you always told your kids to be on their best behavior, yes? Folks, there is a way that you and I as a church need to behave. I will tell you this, not all churches are well-behaved churches. I had a young lady that for quite a few weeks I had ministered to her and I kept trying to get her to come to church. Kept giving her an invitation to come to church, come to church, come to church. And, you know, she was a sweetheart of a girl. She just, you know, no church background. And she just, uh, she basically just told me one day, she said, I'm going to tell you why I don't come to church. She said, I have nothing to wear to come to church. And I said, what are you talking about? What you're wearing right now, that's perfect. And she said, no, I couldn't wear this. i got to wear a dress. Because the one time in her life, she went to a church, and she was wearing jeans, and she was scolded by another lady in the church. said, man, if you come to this church again, you got to wear a dress. See, we got to learn how to behave. we got to learn what our core values are. And our core values have nothing to do with the way people dress when they come to church. 
Our core values have nothing to do with the way people dress when they come to church. Come on, folks. I mean, Jesus looks at the heart. He, you know, I, I, I believe in modesty. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe in modesty. But I don't, I, don't think, I don't think Jesus cares whether or not we wear a tie or whether we wear blue jeans or both. The next thing we've got to ask ourselves is how are we going to get there? How are we as a church going to get to where God is taking us? So that is the Acts 2 plan in a nutshell. So if we're going to be a people who follow this Acts 2 model because we believe it worked for the first century church and we believe that it's going to work for us, we've got to know a little bit more about it. And so one of the things that I want to do in these next few weeks is go through the five components of the Acts 2 journey. Last week, we started with the first component. And the first component was to worship, to worship. And we learned that worship really just has a very small thing to do with what we actually do here on Sunday morning with what we call praise and worship, what our worship band, our worship team just got through doing. A lot of times we think, well, that's praise and worship. That's that's praise and worship. But last week we learned that praise and worship or worship was a lifestyle that we begin to live. It's about 24-7 living a lifestyle where our lives praise God all the time. Not just for that 25 minutes on Sunday morning or that 15 minutes on Wednesday evening. we got to learn to live our lives in such a way that everything we do is a worship unto our God. Amen. So this morning, we're going to jump on to one more of these components, and that is the component we call go. Simply, just go. So here's what the Bible says in Matthew 28. Jesus gave us these instructions. This is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. And then this verse, verse number 19, is where we take this from. He said for all of his people, he said, Go therefore. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So here in verse number 19 is where we get this from. Jesus said, go. So you have to get this picture in your mind. Jesus has got all of these followers of his. All of these followers of his. People that have said, hey, I'm following Jesus with my life. They're all standing in front of him. And now all of a sudden he gives them this command. He says, Guys, I want you to go. I want you to go and make disciples of everybody, all nations. And I'll be very honest with you. This early church took them real serious. In in 70 years, literally, the early church reached the known world at that time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had no modes of transportation like you and I have. They don't have a, they didn't have a TV, they didn't have a radio. They didn't have any way of broadcasting the gospel but by mouth. They just one on one, little groups here, little groups there and they literally went from one place to another to another to another, places that had never before even heard the name of Jesus Christ and they got it done. And I'll tell you why they got it done because they listened to what Jesus said here in Matthew uh, uh, Matthew twenty eight nineteen. He said, go. And so they went. So this morning, you ever had one of those moments where, well, I just had one. You ever had one of those moments? 
You ever have one of those moments where you just wonder? You wonder, you wonder what your life would have been like if you didn't live here in Franklin, you know? Maybe you have a maybe you have a, a wonder about what your life would have been like if you hadn't have taken this job or if you hadn't have done this or that or maybe what your life would have been like if you didn't have four kids. You know, you'd probably be wealthy by now. I mean rich, just rolling in the dough. But these kids just have a way of sucking every penny out of your pocket. <sighs> I mean, all of us have probably had those moments in our lifetime where you, you just wonder. Not too long ago, I was in our district court here in um, Franklin, and uh, they had a moment to where, you know, a side door kind of opened, and then from the jail here, our Macon County Jail, there were probably seven or eight prisoners that they walked in. And, you know, they're in the prisoner garb. They're in handcuffs, all shackled together as they came in. They walked in and they sat down just a couple of benches right in front of me. It was criminal court that day. And 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 I'll be honest, you know, I sat there and as the judge began to, you know, call one after the other, you know, getting them put on the docket somehow or another, I began to think to myself, you know, you know, I wonder what their lives would have been like. And now don't think I'm egotistical or anything. But I wondered what their lives would have been like if I could have had an opportunity to be their children's pastor back 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I wondered what their lives would have been like if their parents would have, you know, saddled up and just came to church every Sunday and just brought them. I wonder what they've been like, you know, because every one of them were young men. And and I thought, man, what would their lives have been like if they could have got some Royal Ranger leaders? That just loved on them, man. Took them camping, shot guns and arrows, and you know, fed them foil packs on the campfire. You know, fed them beanie weenies mixed with ketchup. They had that one time. It was terrible, but these kids thought it was great, man. I can remember when my own sons came home from Royal Ranger campouts. They were the nastiest, dirtiest little thing. My wife would just take their clothes off on the porch and then make them go get go get in the tub. But I just wondered what their lives would have been like if they would have had that opportunity. In other words, what their lives would have been like if someone had intervened earlier than whenever they were sitting there on that bench in that courtroom. I just wondered if maybe their lives could have been spared from the crimes, obviously, that they had committed. Or maybe if their lives could have been spared from the drug addiction or alcohol addiction, perhaps, that they were involved in. You know, one of the things that I've become acutely aware of in this community is that there is a multitude of brokenness in this community. Lives that are just shattered and broken. There's people walking around, and if you could see their spirits... Their spirits are just bleeding on the inside. And I just wondered, you know, if someone would have intervened earlier in their lives, maybe they wouldn't be as broken as they are now. You know, it kind of boils down to this. If someone would have just simply loved them enough to care. Let me just... uh, make a statement here that I believe all of us really got to get a hold of 
the future of the church of Jesus Christ right now at this time literally hangs in the balance. And you think, oh, the church against, you know, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against me building my church. I have to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America in the last 20, 25 years has lost a lot of relevance. You say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? It's hanging in the balance. Folks, this, this component, this go component, as Jesus said, go therefore, this component is, is perhaps the most central factor that is going to is going to determine the direction the church of Jesus Christ is going to go here in the next 10 years or 15 years should the Lord tarry. Folks, if, if we want to be relevant in the United States of America, you and I are going to have to understand the church of Jesus Christ has got to go. It's got to go out into the community that He has placed us in. We're either going to stay relevant or the church's influence in our communities, in this nation, is literally going to become impotent. We've got to go. We have to make disciples. Because if we don't make disciples, the church is going to grow old and all of those disciples are going to be dead. We've got to have a conveyor belt of disciples going along. We've got to have brand new people coming into the kingdom all the time. Brand new people as they come into the kingdom being mentored and discipled and growing up in Jesus. Because you see, about 40 years ago, that happened to me. I was young. I was dumb. I was, I was way out there in sin. And all of a sudden, one Sunday night, I got born again. And it was, a, it was a wonderful thing, but that's what ought to be happening all the time. You see, somebody got a hold of my life early on in my Christian life, and they began to mentor me. They began to tell me, hey, Watson, you can't do that. you got to do this. you got to do this. I can remember going to early prayer in, in my church where I got born again. I had no idea how to pray. I did not know how to pray. And I used to go in and kneel down on the front rows, and here's about a half dozen old men. I mean, they were old men at that time. They were probably probably 55, 60 years old. They were old to me, man. Some of them had been feeding their cattle before they ever come to early prayer. And this is 5.30 in the morning. I mean, you could track them into the back of the church because they dripped alfalfa hay all the way down. But I came to that early morning prayer because they told me I needed to be there. And I, I was just so dumb. I said, okay, I need to be there. I'll be there. So 530 in the morning, I'm getting up. I'm going down to early prayer. And you know what I did? For the first many weeks, I was at that early morning prayer. I listened to those men pray. That's all I did. I didn't even pray myself. I just listened to them. So many of the ways I pray right now, I learned it from these guys. They mentored my life. And because of that, there came a time in my life, not only was I born again, but I was called into the ministry. Not only was I called into the ministry, I went into the ministry. Not only did I go into the ministry, God has given me opportunity literally all over the United States to, to go and to win the lost and make disciples of my own. You see, if that church hadn't been a church that was reaching out, are you all there? Okay. We got to be that. We've got to be a, a church that goes, a church that makes Christianity relevant. I tell you, as a pastor, and I believe there's other pastors all over this globe that literally long for their church to grow. I long to see these front rows full. I long to see people just filling every pew in this place. I long to give our ushers and greeters such a nightmare because we can't seat everybody and they're running out getting chairs and unfolding them down the aisles. I long for that. But I'll tell you, 
Really what I'm longing for is people to experience the same things that I found in Jesus Christ. That's what I long for. Because you see, but by the grace of God, I'm one of those young men sitting on that bench in that courtroom facing the consequences of my crimes. I will totally confess this to you because you couldn't prove it now anyway. But I've committed felonies in my lifetime. I'm telling you, felonies. But they've gone unpunished because I got away with them. And so you're saying, what does that mean? It means, but by the grace of God, I could have been right where they're at. But something happened in my life. Somebody cared enough to intervene. And it changed my circumstances for eternity. I've experienced the transforming love of Jesus Christ. And so go. If you hear the word go, you hear it, you know it's one of the five components that we have here. Whenever we start talking about go, one of the things that you're going to immediately begin to understand is go is changing us from a church that is inwardly focused to a church that is outwardly focused. In other words, it's not about us. It's not about us. So many churches out there today, they are their own reason for existence. In other words, everything they do is for themselves. We're going we're gonna to do this for ourselves, this for ourselves. And what this church is going to become is this. We are going to be a church that everything we do is for those that are outside the four walls of this building. That we've got to go. We've got to be outwardly focused. That is our mission. There's this guy named Thomas Rainier, and this is something he wrote. I didn't write it, so don't get mad at me and scratch my car on your way out or whatever. But he really doesn't pull any punches here. But I believe this is really something as a church we need to hear. This is what he says. He says, I am convinced that the answer to all the troubling questions about the church in America is very simple. We Christians have become disobedient and lazy. Investing our lives in the lives of the lost and unchurched people is inconvenient and messy. The silence of Christians may be one of the greatest tragedies in the church today. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'd like to say, but that excludes us because we're Trinity and we're great. But if I can't say that, I'd really like to say this. I'd like to say that doesn't include me because I'm the pastor of Trinity and I'm great. I don't know. You see, folks, I believe that whenever that little quote right there begins to seek in in all of our hearts, I believe that all of us probably are in this room say, Yowch. You see, the church needs to move towards something. And one of the things that you're going to begin to hear a lot about as we move forward in this is something called relational evangelism. Relational evangelism. Relational evangelism is quite different, perhaps, than what the church generally is part of. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think, I think there's a lot of different kinds of evangelism that work, but this is what I will tell you, that relational evangelism is what the early church practiced. They lived lives together. They lived lives together. And they, they had neighbors and friends and family, and they lived their lives in such a way that they included all these neighbors, friends, and family. And those neighbors and friends and family ultimately became people that belonged to the church of Jesus Christ. Are you all there? 
What we practice today in the church primarily is this thing called secondhand evangelism. And we've been doing it for many decades. And, and, and this is this kind of in a nutshell. We'll talk to any about, anybody about Jesus as long as we don't have to see him again. I mean, think about it. I mean, if I loaded up a bunch of y'all and said, we're going to go down to Atlanta and we're going to minister to people on the streets there. Man, some of you, yeah, you'd get in the van, you'd run down there. We'd, man, anybody that you've seen, you'd buttonhole them. Let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, I've seen some people that have just been so brave out on the streets. Many times, whenever you go hand out tracks, whenever you do, uh, man, we had a missions trip that goes in various places all over the world. And, and you see what I'm saying? We can talk to anybody about Jesus, but if we, if we have to see him again, that's where we become a little bit hesitant. Because if we have to see people again, that means that they're probably our friends, our co-workers, our family members. Come on. Folks, I have preached the gospel to thousands of people in my ministry career, but I want to tell you the, persons, the hardest person that I ever preached the gospel to was my own father. A lot of reasons for that. It didn't deter me. I still preached the gospel to him. But I'll be honest with you. There were times where I knew I should open my mouth that I didn't open my mouth. And it was because of my relationship with him. This, re- this relational evangelism is something different than this. It's different than secondhand uh, uh, evangelism. You see, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, sometimes we're just really not willing to share with those nearest to us because we could be embarrassed. I mean, heaven forbid, what if you share with one of your coworkers and all of a sudden they label you as a Jesus freak? And see, that doesn't even relevant to these kids here because they have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you lived in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus freak, that's cool. Well, it wasn't so cool in the 80s. What if they look at you and call you a Bible thumper? what i'm saying i mean it's easy to minister to people whenever you know you're probably never going to see them again but sometimes you and i have got to be a people who begin to build relationships with people because whenever you build relationships with people before you witness to them does that make sense they know who you are and they know what you are. If you build relationships with people before you witness to them, evangelism is so much easier. Because what you do, see, is you, you've earned the right to be heard. I had a man in our church in Winston-Salem, and he was our leader over evangelism, and he put together a evangelism course called lifelong evangelism and that was the whole crux of his whole evangelism process was that we as christians need to earn the right to be heard and now please don't misunderstand me i believe you can earn the right to be heard in a matter of a few minutes you can listen to them and you can listen to their story and then all of a sudden whenever you begin to talk they will give you a lot of grace because you've listened to them Amazing thing about um, uh, the evangelism, the relational type of evangelism is this. Whenever you are their friend, whenever you are their family member, whenever you are their co-worker, and man, you've been in the trenches with them. 
You've earned the right for them to hear you. Let me just read you a couple of things. Um, Well, let me back up here. I believe wholeheartedly the difficulty level just goes way, way up for evangelism if you and I are not willing to get down in the trenches and get dirty, if you would. In other words, you see, whenever you start ministering to your friends, your family, you begin to take a risk. And that's what I mean by getting dirty. You just say, man, listen, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus today. I can remember years ago, whenever I was still in the secular job market, uh, many of the guys I worked with, and man, I got saved while I was working with them, so they knew me as a heathen, and now they know me as being saved. It was difficult sometimes to share the gospel with them, but man, I would go, I'd start praying and believing God, and not one person got saved while I worked with them. All six years I was working with them, not one person gave their life to Jesus Christ, but the great thing about it was I planted a lot of seed, and after I left that job, there were 12 12 different men that I knew of that I had witnessed to that became Christians. One of those guys went on to be a Baptist pastor that lived in Kentucky. I don't know why I was Baptist, but I'm just joking. But God did a miracle in his life. And I believe one of the things that happened was that somebody shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ early on in, 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 our, in our job together. Evangelism without risk is very ineffective. We've got to earn the right to share Jesus with them. So here's a couple of statistics. Um, the church, the church, I'll just say it like that, has really taught its believers to stay away from bad things. And one of the things that it's taught its believers to stay away from is bad people. Because if you run with bad people, those bad people can taint you. Yes? And so what the church has done is said, don't run with bad people. You just come here to the church and run with us because we're all good people. Is that true or not? I mean, that's what we've done. So stay away from bad people. Come to good people. We're going we're gonna to have fellowships. We're going to have horseshoe throwing contests. We're going to do all of these things so that all you're going to be doing is running with good people all the time. How many of you all know that Jesus did not practice that kind of mentality? Amen? He didn't do it. Neither did his believers do it whenever they left from that place whenever he said go. Folks, you and I got to understand, we cannot spend all of our time with one another. Christian fellowship is wonderful, and we ought to be with one another. But if all we are is with one another, let me just say this. Very few people are going to get one to Jesus. And if you're worried about getting tainted by the world, you just need to get a little stronger spiritually. Come on. Hello. I'm not worried about getting tainted by the world if I run around with somebody that cusses and smokes and drinks. Because I don't think I'm going to come home to Renee with a beer in my hand, smoking a cigarette, and cussing. I just don't think so. But boy, if I did, she'd be shocked. Here's some things. Nearly 70% of first-time attendees come to church as a result of a personal invitation. So another 70% of folks that attend church for the first time, they just come as a visitor, they come because somebody else gave them a personal invitation. Now, this morning, something that I haven't said much about, but right here in this building, on this wall right out here, the outside parking lot, we've erected five signs there. 
They go all the way down that, that row, and it's, it says first-time visitor parking. First-time visitor parking. It's not designed for those of you that come to this church. Okay? Pastor used to park his car right here every Sunday morning. The reason it was because I got here before anybody else, and I had my choice of all the parking spaces. A few months ago, I began to park way out there on the other side of the parking lot. You know why? Because it doesn't hurt me one bit to walk that 7,000 feet or however long it is to my office on Sunday mornings. And so what we've done is we've designated these spaces for first-time visitors. And today, right before service, I went out there and looked, and we got some cars in there that don't belong to first-time visitors. So next week, if your car's there, it will be burning by the end of the service. Just joking. We're not really going to do that. But this is what I'm believing. I'm believing in the weeks to come that I can begin to go to one of our head ushers or whatever and say, right before the service starts, right before I begin to preach, I want you to go out there and look because none of our folks are going to park in those spots. Thanks. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. None of our folks are going to be parking in those spots. So we know if someone's parked there that they are indeed a first-time visitor. And so I can come in here and say, man, here's a victory today. We got somebody here for the very first time in our church. And I can look and I say, oh, man, look at that. They came with so-and-so. Are you all there? And we can celebrate that victory. And then pretty soon they're going to come in and say, Pastor, we got three cars out there. Woo, baby. And obviously they won't be any of our cars. And so I can say, man, we got three first-time visitors in those spots. Are you all there with me? Because 70% of people who come to church the very first time, they come because somebody has asked them to come. There won't be anybody out there. 82% of unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. 82% of people that were surveyed said, yeah, if somebody really asked me to come to church with them, I'd go. Yeah, 82% said. Only 21% of active churchgoers, now get this, active churchgoers invite anyone to church in the course of a year. Only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church with them in the course of a year. Only 2%. Now, this morning, I want to make everybody feel as bad as I possibly can, including myself. But I'm just going to tell you this. I teach youth on Wednesday nights, and so every Wednesday night, I'm over there. And I have one youth in particular that probably over the course of the last year, I haven't kept up to this, but I will tell you if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the, I'm going to err on the low side of this. But she's probably brought 20 people with her to church in the course of the last year. And I'm going to tell you this. She probably doesn't even know Jesus as her personal Savior. And we're working on that. But she just invites folks to come to church with her. And they come. I mean, she comes in and there's an entourage behind her. Two or three people. Going, who is this? Who is this? Introduce them to me. We need to invite our friends. We need to invite our, our, our family, our neighbors. And so we're going to develop some things here at Trinity that I believe 
are going to play into our strengths because we have some strengths in this church. We really do. We do some things that as a small church we should not be able to do. And so we're going to, we're going to develop some things in these next few months that are going to play into those strengths. One of the things that I believe this church is good at is I believe this church is good at pulling off events that we should never be able to pull off with our size. I can tell you the years that we did Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, man. I, I just tell you, a church our size should not be able to pull that off. We've done the Thank God for Kids Day at our local county fair for the last 17 years. And I will tell you, if, if I only would... A church our size shouldn't be able to do that. I'm just, I'm just saying. I've worked at large churches. I've worked at small churches. And we just shouldn't be able to do this. Almost every person in this church is getting involved in that. In years gone by, we've done sportsman's band. We've done all kinds of things where we've reached out to this community. And really, a church our size should not be able to do it. So I will tell you this. We have some strengths here at this church that we're going to play into as we go in, uh, in into the, the rest of this year and next year. Servant evangelism is something that we have done a lot of in this church. I can drive around this community and I can find ramps that we built, roofs that we put shingles on, uh, houses that we put siding on. I can find so many places where we delivered a cord of firewood to them, a cord of firewood to them. We split five cords over here and delivered it to all different kinds of people. Our church has been busy doing servant evangelism. We've given out hundreds of gift bags all over this community to businesses, to fire and, and police departments. We've given out things just going in and saying, man, we love you. We've taken schools and fixed lunches for the teachers and got them all together. We, we've been a blessing to this community. So servant evangelism is one of those things that I believe we're good at. We're good at serving. This church really is good at serving. We have a group of people, and I thank you, all of those that are involved in the food ministry. Miss Janie and her team, I'm telling you, they tear it up every Tuesday, giving out hundreds of pounds of food every single week to families all over our community that would do without if we were not blessing them. We're able to serve. I believe we're doing, I believe we're good at putting on events like men's things, men's breakfast. But let me just say this. If we're going to be people who go, you see, during men's breakfast, I don't want to just see faces that I recognize. If we're going to go all that trouble in serving a big breakfast, I want visitors to be here. Y'all see what I'm saying? That all of us are going. Say, man, I've got a neighbor. I can invite him. I've got a family member. I can invite him. I've got, I've got two cousins. Man, they're weird, but I'm going to invite them to come to church with me. And just invite them. So whenever we have men's breakfast, we always have to fix more because we're anticipating brand new people coming to be a part of our church. Whenever we do our men's camp out, I'm looking forward to it. Man, we had a blast last year with two men's camp out. I'm looking so forward to having some brand new guys at our men's camp out. Maybe some people that you work with. Maybe it's other family members. I don't know. But we're good at this. we got women's events. We've got... Community outreaches. One of the things that I want to do is we got a tent that sets idle for 364 days a year. We got a, a 50 by 100 tent, circus tent that we keep stored for 364 days a year. God blessed us with that tent. I want to set that thing up down at the fairgrounds more than once a year. First time I want to set it up down there is I want to do a big youth outreach to our whole community. 
I want to get some great youth music. I want to get a great youth preacher, and I want to tear it up for Jesus. Do three or four nights of youth ministry. I want to do a big barbecue, smoke a bunch of pork, invite them. Say, man, if you're between the ages of this and this, we'll give you a wristband. You can eat free. If you're older than that, you're out of here, man. But are y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is what we need to do as a church that learns to go. I want to do short-term missions trips. We're talking right now about the opportunity we might have to go to Dearborn, Michigan. You go, Dearborn, Michigan. Folks, you have to understand, Dearborn, Michigan has a huge, huge community of Islamic people up there. we got a missionary that we support. Him and his family are up there. And I believe that God is, is, is instilling in us the opportunity to be able to go up there and join with them to reach these Islamic families. Because it'd be great to reach them up there and then one of these days maybe send a whole boatload of missionaries to Islamic countries all over the world. I'd be glad to do that with some of our young people. Amen? We have an opportunity now, short-term mission trip to go to Atlanta and work with a dream center down there. I believe that it would be very viable for us to do that. I want to up the missions giving. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how much this church in the past 17 years has given. We've given over $700,000 to missions. That's a lot. Amen. You can, you can clap for that. But this year, our board has taken a pretty bold stance, and we believe that we can do more than that. So we've committed to over $2,500 a month worth of monthly missions pledges. We've raised our missions commitment to Teen Challenge of the Smokies from $500 a month to $200 to $750 a month. Because we're believing that that ministry is doing it for Jesus Christ. There's no better place here in this community that we could place our money that is getting results like they're getting. Men's lives are being changed. Our total commitment for this year is $38,000, and I believe we're going to exceed that because I believe that what God called us to do. We're going to do things in this ministry called Evangelistic Sundays. We're not going to exactly call them that normally, but for, for, better, for, for uh, lack of a better name right now, Evangelistic Sundays. These are Sundays designed for and around visitors so that you can... With a lot of confidence, you can invite somebody to come to church with you. You can say, you know, on this Sunday, I know pastor's not going to be weird. Because he's promised he's going to preach a good sermon and it's going to all revolve around new people in our community of believers. I believe we're going to cap every one of those evangelistic Sundays off with an all church fellowship across the street. Because this is what I know. If you cook, they will come. Amen. That'd be awesome, man. Every time just to invite people to come say, hey, man, we're going to have a meal afterward. Lots of good. We got some great cooks in our church, man. Ella mixed tamales. Yeah, did you see that, Ella? Amen. There was a lot of them. We're, we're, we're winning and influencing people for the Mexican food cuisine in this place. Oh, yes. Because it's going to be in heaven. Marriage Supper of the Lamb is going to be Mexican food. I'm telling you. We're going to do small groups. In the next few weeks, we're going to be launching small groups in this ministry. And I believe that it is going to become an integral part of this ministry. Small groups... We're going to get good at doing small groups. We're going to get good at doing small groups. And if you don't think God has a way of... God has a way. God has a way. The leading small group authority in the United States of America right now is a man named Steve Gladen. He pastors with a guy named Rick Warren at Saddleback Church in California. They have over 9,000 small groups right now, and Steve Gladen is the leader of those small groups. And Steve Gladen 
worked with me in Denver, Colorado, and we have remained very close and dear friends throughout the years. And he has made everything that Saddleback Church has ever done with small groups available to me free. (laughs) You do not know how much of a blessing that is. He was going to fly down here last year and meet with me in Asheville just to train me on small groups. He was going to fly out here by himself and just spend a couple of days meeting with us. And we had this big old huge snowstorm and he didn't get to come. So we had to do it over the phone. But whenever we get into small groups and we have a problem, we have a situation that we're going to encounter, God has put him in my life so as to help us to grow small groups. You don't think God's good? You don't think God's good? He's good. But the goal that we have as a church is to extend our love, to make friendships, to those outside this church building to build relationships because that's what relational evangelism is all about. It's about knowing people. So weeks and months to come, we're going to point out and we're going to use our strengths. You're going to hear a lot of stuff because we are going to be a church that goes. We're going to get good at going. We're going going to involve our young people. We're going to involve our seniors and everybody in between because we're going to go. We're going to reach the community that Jesus has placed us in. So we're going to use our strengths. We're going to use our geographic location. I believe this is a great location for a church. A few years back, I wasn't here. They wanted to move the church. They wanted to move it some backwoods place back here. And I'm thinking, why in the world would you want to do that? We have thousands of people that pass us every day on 441, and they see our church. We're going to get us a new sign pretty soon. And I'm going to bring my tractor down here, and I'm going to take that old sign out in Jesus' name. So we're going to use the location that God has given us. But I'm going to tell you something else. We're going to use your friendships that you've made. We want to tap into that. You've got friends, for heaven's sake. You've got family. You've got, you've got people that you can influence. You have connections, and we want to use those. So this morning, I want to end with this. Jared, if you'll go ahead and come and help me in. I, I just want to, I want to talk about John chapter 4 and the story that is in John chapter 4 to close with. This is the story of the woman at the well. I'm going to read part of it, but I'm not going to read it all because it's pretty much almost the whole chapter. But John chapter 4, and I want to begin reading in verse number 3. Just read a few verses, kind of set it up. Now, you have to understand, Samaria was a place that the Jews didn't want to be in. They, they would literally go around the country so as not to have to go through the country and just deal with the Samaritan. They were very prejudicial towards Samaritans. In other words, they were the scum of the earth, literally. I mean, they were the worst of the worst, and the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them. But all of a sudden... Here's the story of the woman at the well. And it is about a Samaritan woman that met Jesus. So John chapter 4, verse number 3, it says, this is Jesus. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Otherwise, they would have went around it. They needed, he needed to go through Samaria. Because remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do. I don't even say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. So in other words, the Father had already spoken to him. He said, you need to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So here it is. Jesus is sitting at the well. He has nothing to draw water out of the well. His disciples are in town at the drive-up window at Burger King. This woman shows up, and Jesus is the only one at the well. And Jesus says, give me a drink. Now, the next few verses, and you can read them on your own because I'm not going to go through it, but it's Jesus' conversation with this woman. Jesus basically leads this woman to be a follower of his. She's a sinful woman, has all, had all kinds of crazy relationships. But Jesus brings her to a knowledge of salvation. This big conversation happened. This is verse number 27. This is after Jesus and the woman has finished their conversation. Woman picks up her water pot. She's headed back to town. And at this point, verse 27, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with this woman. So I can't believe you're talking with a Samaritan. Samaritans are dogs. But not one of his disciples said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So in other words, they had no interest in what he was talking to her about. Had no interest in their conversation. Are y'all there? No interest whatsoever. Now this is it. As you go through this whole conversation, go through this whole story, the fact that Jesus' own disciples didn't bring up the subject of why he was talking to her is amazing to me. Are y'all there? I mean, basically, they came back and they said, let's eat. It's true. Why didn't they ask Jesus about what he was saying, why she was there, what they were talking about? Is because their minds were on something else. Are y'all there with me? And that something else just happened to be lunch. And I can understand that because there is nothing more gross than a Burger King fry that's been waiting for a whole bunch of minutes before you eat it. You know, I mean, they were glad to get that bag opened up and start eating them hot fries right off the grease. Are y'all there? Their mind was on something else. This is verse number 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, now these are the men of the city, come see a man who told me all things that I'd ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus, I brought you this double quarter pounder with cheese. I didn't buy that impossible burger because they're stupid. I want you to eat this thing. But Jesus says to him, he says, I have food to eat, which you don't know of. And his disciples said, has someone else brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will, do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He says, do you not say there are still four months until the harvest comes? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are ready for harvest. They offered Jesus food 
but he was thinking about what had just happened. He was thinking about the harvest. He was thinking about the harvest. You see, the kingdom of God had just walked by the disciples and they didn't even notice because they were focused on lunch. And you go, man, I ain't never eaten lunch again. Y'all make the connection. I think for too long the church has had one of those little signs on their door, you know, that has the hands of a clock and the face of a clock. And on the bottom it says, out to lunch. And it says, we'll return. And they move the hands to like 1 or one thirty. You see, this is my opinion, which I value highly. I believe the church has been out to lunch for a long time. Because I want to tell you, the harvest, the harvest fields in our community are white unto harvest. They're white unto harvest. 82% of people say, if man, someone would just ask me, I would go to church. I'd go to church with them. If somebody just asked me, sometimes we got to pester people. It's not just saying, hey, will you go to church? Well, you know, next week I'm busy. I'm doing, I've got a manicure going on. Well, that's all right. Just tell me a Sunday you don't have a manicure and I'll stop by. I'll pick you up. I'll take you out after church to lunch. I'll take you down to Fat Buddies for... No, that's close. I'll take you to Fats. Take you somewhere good. But just come to church with me. Just come to church with me. See, for too long the church is just saying, I got to get ready. I got to go. And the church has just been out to lunch. You see, God wants you and I to engage the woman at the well. That's what he wants. He wants relational evangelism to take place. He wants us to engage the woman at the well. Go, 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 go. It means to be outward focused. Today you will have an opportunity to be outward focused. In other words, today you'll have something more that comes your way besides just coming together with believers in this sanctuary on Sunday morning. You will have an opportunity to reach out to somebody and to encourage their lives. Ultimately, one of these days, maybe have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Maybe one of these days you'll have the opportunity to see them come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But we'll never have that opportunity. We'll never fill these pews unless we we as a body of believers say, listen, I'm not going to be preoccupied with lunch anymore. Because the food that I want to eat is to do the will of the Father who sends me into this community.